Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God is faithful, isn't he? It's good to see you all today. It's good to be together in his house, isn't it? It's good to be together. I'm excited to be here. I believe that God has a plan for us. Don't you know that? God's got a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And uh, I just want to get right into his word. I have a lot of scripture today. Is that okay? Anybody okay with a little bit of Bible in the church? <laughs> Man, if there's too many scriptures, sometimes we freak out. Oh, it's too much. And yet, that's this whole thing, isn't it? We don't need to make it dry. We don't need to, to try to, you know, become religious. But a little bit of scripture is a good thing. And so I just want to get right into it. Some of the things that I'm going to be reading and talking about today, I've been talking about through this whole season, but I feel like the Lord wants to bring some things fresh. You may recognize some of these things uh, back right as we were turning the year. Uh, only a few weeks ago, it's hard to believe we're on the verge of another month into this 2021, right? Just unbelievable time. It just goes so incredibly fast. Um, but as we were turning, I feel like the Lord put a uh, a word in my heart, which is a very uh, generic word, uh, but it is so timely, and it's God has a plan, right? And I've been talking about his plan, and I've been talking about our placement in that plan for these last couple of weeks. Um, and I, so I just want to review some things of the word. These are all scriptures. If you know God and you know his word, I got some papers up here that's not usually like me, but when I've got a lot of word, the iPad is a little tough for me because uh, I, it's hard to see it all at once. So this gives me a little more freedom here. And then I printed them out so that I can do that. And my wife, it, right, Dawn says to me this morning, uh, are you going to bring those papers? I heard the printer going and I almost didn't bring them. And then it just becomes tough for me to try to look down and see it and keep it fluid. Bible study you know, that's fine because, you, you know, the delays in time, nobody really cares. You're comfortable around a table or something, but uh, I'd like to keep us moving. So I just want to start with this, okay? Let's get right into his word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, what a promise. I could actually read this verse and say goodbye and go home, and it's the entire uh, thing that we have here with the Lord, this relationship we have with God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am certain... That God who began, everybody say God began. And it says that he began a good work. Everybody say a good work. God began a good work within us. And it says, his word says, aren't you so encouraged by his word? Isn't it amazing that God's word is eternal? It is so faithful to us. 2,000 years later, this, is, this scripture right here is just as relevant to me as when it was penned to those Philippians. Amen. Right? They needed to be encouraged, so it was penned down to encourage that church, the Philippian church. And I'm encouraged today, 2,000 years later, with the same exact word. That he will, everybody say he will, continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That means that if Jesus Christ has not returned yet, that means what is God up to? God's up to finishing things. Amen. If Jesus Christ has not appeared yet, and we believe he's coming soon, amen, and we're looking forward to that day, but that means if we're not seeing him in the natural, the Bible says we will behold him with our natural eyes, right? We're going to see him like lightning flashes across the sky, and he's going to wrap this thing up 
uh, called time and space and humanity and our human nature. And we will be anew, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, everybody say, in the meantime, God is busy continuing his work. Now, many times, because we live, and I've said this before, but we flip the Bible from chapter to chapter and page to page so easily, right? It's easy to read the story. It's another thing to live the story. You know, we flip a page, and it's 20 years or 50 years even from one page of this big book to the next. And what is it like to live moment by moment and day by day? That's a much different thing. We can see the end. We already know where this story's going. So we're like, man, why are you doubting? Why don't you have faith, right? We're judging the characters of the word. Man, why didn't they just trust God? And you have to imagine the day by day, moment by moment, what it was like, for instance, for the Israelites to be out there in the desert. They had left, even though they were slaves, they had everything that they needed and provided for, and suddenly they're starving and there's no water. I think all of us, you know, we condemn them and we judge them. We'd all wonder, okay, I'm not quite sure what Moses, you know, I know God was in this, but I'm not sure where this is going. Everybody say, I'm not sure where this is going. You ever wonder that at moments in your life or in time? Anybody wondering that right now? God, I'm not quite sure where this is going. But we know that God, come on, we have to then believe his word. I've said this to you before, and any good preacher should say this to his congregation. That's when we grab a hold of the word, and we choose to believe his word, even though it does not make sense in the natural. I believe that even though many times through history, believers wondered what was going on in natural time, God's kingdom was continually being established Day by day, person by person, amen. In good times and bad times, people are still getting saved and going to heaven. God's kingdom is not altered. It may seem like it, but it is not. One day, we will see it all finished, amen. So let me just keep moving here because I have some scriptures to read. I want you to look at the book of Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts chapter 20 Verse 22, we just read this, if you've been reading in our Bible reading plan, it says, Paul says in 22, I'm bound by the Spirit. Everybody say, bound by the Spirit. He was compelled or bound by the Spirit, and, but then he says, I don't know what awaits me. I'm bound by the Spirit. He's commissioned me. He's compelled me. I know that there's a direction and a plan and a purpose for me. But I don't know the specifics. Try to say that word, specifics, with a mask on. <laughs> I just wrote down a very quick thing. God gives us the outline, but not the play-by-plays. Right? Many times we're like, but yeah, but God said, and God gave me a word. Yeah, he gave you the outline. So then, if you judge... Him by the play-by-plays, you know, it's, well, you know, like picking petals off the daisy. He loves me, loves me not, right? Well, that's what it's like sometimes, right? Who has said, Lord, you're so good, you're so faithful. You had just this amazing time with him in prayer and worship in the morning. One o'clock comes, God, where are you? 
Did you forget our time this morning? Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe you're on lunch break. Does your lunch break extend past 12 o'clock? It says, I'm bound by the Spirit, but I don't know what awaits me. Verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. I don't know what awaits me. He says in verse 23, you know, the Holy, I don't know what it is, but I do know that there is some jail, there's some suffering, there's some things I'm going to face. I know that. But I'm not worried about that because I'm going to focus on finishing what he has given me to do, which is telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul stayed in all kinds of cities, right? He's on ships. He's in small towns. He's in great cities. He's working with his hands, making tents is what we think. We're not quite sure, but some sort of tent making. And then sometimes he's in chains. Sometimes he's free. And you know what? Paul stays the same Paul. You can read one of his letters to Philippians, and you can read Galatians, and you can read Ephesians, and sure, they all have their own little details, but it's the same Paul to every single church. He was not changed or moved, even though his his specifics, his play-by-plays were constantly changing and moving. He stayed the course and the mission that God had given him. Just keep preaching the gospel. Just keep doing what I've given you to do. You know that God has given each of us here a mission. The mission is the same. The outline of our mission is exactly the same. Tell others the good news of the wonderful grace of God. We have the same exact mission The play-by-plays, I can't tell you what that'll look like for each of you. That's all going to look a little bit different. But the outline is the same, that we have been given grace and mercy, and so then we tell others of the grace and mercy we've been given. Amen. And so things will change, circumstances will change, and uh, God calls people to do things uh, in all sorts of arenas. But no matter what your arena is, no matter what's going on, We stay focused on the plan and purpose of God. Let him work out the details. It's almost like a child, right? Your kids want to know, you know, imagine sitting down with your kids and going over your yearly budget with them, food and clothing and schooling. First of all, they're not interested. They'd be totally bored. Just give me what I need when I need it. Secondly, how could they understand yet? They don't have the mental capacity. It doesn't mean that they're dumb, right? But they're not, they haven't gone through the natural stages of life to even understand what that means. Let's look here in the book of Romans chapter 8. I want to just keep moving so that I don't take all your time today. But I want to get this word. I want you to be able to get it and just receive it. Just stay alert. God's got some things that he's encouraging us with today. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, tells us that all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children are. And against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
All right, so there has been this rumbling and shaking in the earth, right? And even Jesus even said in the end, earthquakes will increase. The earth itself, creation, is rumbling and shaking, and there'll be an increase of that as we head towards the finish line here because even creation is looking forward. Even his creation is looking forward to the coming of Christ and the end of the curse. Even creation is subject to it. It has to go through the seasons of drought and the, and, and the issues of this natural fallen state, right, where the sun beats on it or the, or the rain floods it. And this uh, in, imbalance, and God's still amazing, I still see his beauty in it, but it's an imbalance and it's imperfect, and even creation wants that perfection back, that Eden back again. Isn't that amazing? And it says that we, uh, as humans, as part of his creation, we are groaning with creation and it says, verse 23, we believers also groan, though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, and we too wait with eager hope for the day. Everybody say, the day. There is an eager hope. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a foretaste. We know that God's got a plan. We have tasted, right, taste and see. The Lord is good. We have tasted it. We haven't experienced the fullness of it yet. We've only had a taste. It feel, I mean, we can be as full as you can in this state, but still we are trapped within this human condition. And uh, you can be as full as, I mean, we need to, I believe we, we should press on and push on to be as full as possible so that every bit of everything else in us is pushed out. But even that won't be the fullness until our glorified body is given to us and we fully see him. Amen. And in the meantime, again, I want you to say that again, because I believe that's what Christianity is all about, is in the meantime. That's the Holy Spirit is perfecting us, right? We've been saved instantly at the cross through his blood, but then the life on earth is the perfecting of God. And while we let him perfect us and we submit and stay obedient to that perfection process, the world hopefully sees that and not sees someone who says they're a Christian and not letting the Holy Spirit work on them because what does that do? That just ends up scarring people and causing them to turn and run away from him. You're going to have people that hate you and curse you because you're righteous, and that's fine. Jesus told us that. Jesus told us that they'll, they hate me, they're going to hate you. I want someone, if, they're gonna, if, if there's a choice for them to be offended because I believe in Jesus and I represent him fully, I'd rather them be offended than the other offense, which is that I say I believe in Jesus, but I don't really live like Jesus. And so there's this meantime, this, this in the meantime, and we must go through it looking, but also realizing that we are here for a purpose, that God is working his purpose out, and there are more people to be saved, and his kingdom needs to be established in the earth. So we are looking with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And it says in verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together. I love this because, you know, he's, 
If you start really going through the verses, I'm kind of picking it apart, but I promise to keep these verses in context. But if you really look, you know, we pull out verses like 28 from the Word, which has power in itself, but really within Romans 8, wow, what a power here that it says he causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The fullness of that verse, we can understand, yeah, God's working it out and he's got a plan and it's good. But when we look at it in the context of Romans 8, we see, wow, there is this groaning. There is this imperfection. There is this struggle because we're in, in humanity. We're in the earth and the earth, even creation, doesn't like this condition and wants God here in its perfection, wants the end of sin and end of decay. Creation, and we are the same, but to give us hope, he tells us to hold on. Just know that I'm working it all together, that the imperfections, that the struggles, the trials, the stuff that you have to go through in, the, in this earth, I'm using it for my good and for my purpose. Amen. For God knew his people in, this is what I want to really major on today, in advance. Or you may know it as beforehand, depending on your translation. And he chose them to become like his son. Again, that's that, that's that Jesus purchased us with his blood, but then the Holy Spirit is perfecting us and we're being obedient to that process so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. But the Bible says here, I want you to get this key point. Don't look, even though we're groaning in us, don't look at this present condition and become discouraged. Know that God is using the exact thing that's so discouraging to your flesh to bring perfection. And I want you to really get that today. That's really what this sermon is going to really drive home today. That the very thing that is so discouraging to you, the imperfection that actually is so irritating to your spirit, man, right? God is using that exact same thing, that situation, to perfect and further his purpose and kingdom. We're going to look into the depth of that truth. It says in the book of Titus, are we okay? Everybody all right? I'm just going to keep moving here. The book of Titus chapter 1, verse 3, and now at just the right time. Everybody say at just the right time. We used to have a saying in Christianity, in Christianese, we said that God is on time all the time. He's on time all the time. And you know what? It's not just Christianese. It's true. It's a truth. It is so true. The Bible says here in Titus 1, 3, the Amplified says, His appointed time. His own appointed time. It was in his time and just the right time. That means, going back and looking at some of the verses we've been looking at so far, and just in Romans 8, that there is a time that God has ordained. And you know, even the demons, when Jesus dealt with them right there, remember the, the demon, right? The, the, the demon-possessed man, Gadarenes, uh, Gerasenes, depending on the book you're reading there, 
same story. Jesus deals with that demonic entity or entities, and they say to him, are you going to judge us before the time? You know, even they know the time. Satan knows the time. There are times and seasons appointed by God, and you cannot rush it. Come on, we want God. We just want Jesus, come now. Come quickly, and we can pray those prayers, but you're not speeding up or slowing down the process, just so you know. It might feel better. Oh, I've been praying, and, and then he showed up. That's great, because you were just getting in line with his will. It was his will. You got to keep praying until he does show up. Thank, that should always be the case. Well, I was praying, and he showed up. That's amazing. Thank God that you recognize his will for the hour. In fact, I would just say it's just good to always be praying. And the times he doesn't show up, well, you just keep praying so that when he showed up, all you say is, it's not that he failed me. He, I just had to pray longer than I thought I had to pray for. That's all it is. You think God failed you. God says, it's not 7 o'clock yet. We had a 7 o'clock dinner date. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Why are you getting upset that I'm not here? I didn't say I'm coming yet. Right? We're, we want God to be on our time and on our agenda. And we want him, really, we say, Lord God, take my life. You have my life. All, whatever is submitted to you, your plan is my plan. Now, uh, now let me get back to my life because I got somewhere to be today and I got this to do, and I got that to do, and God, I hope this works for you because I'm not really going to move in this area. Amen. He said at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announced to everyone, it's by the command of God our Savior that I've been entrusted with this work for him. Even the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, if we were to micromanage God, I don't know that we would think it's a good idea to wait 3,000 years to reveal Jesus. Maybe we would have revealed him. Hey, Satan, you thought you tricked Adam and Eve. Whoops. You, you missed it because Jesus, hey, I'm Jesus. Not going to work. 3,000 years of trials and struggles and ups and downs and kingdoms rising and falling Suddenly, Jesus comes so unexpectedly. Good thing we're not micromanaging God and his plan. But that's why they missed it, too. That's why we must be looking every day. We must be always ready. And God does that on purpose. See, you know, one of the signs of the times that Jesus is coming soon is they say, we've been hearing that our whole lives. I've heard that since I was born. Jesus is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard all that. I've heard all the prophecies. I know. We've prepared Y2K. We've prepared <laughs> 2012, 2020, 2021. I've been there, done that. I'm tired of waiting, tired of preparing. I'm just going to live my life. I still love you, Lord, but you know, I'm just not going to be as edgy looking for you. But we're not going to be caught off guard, amen, because we're always ready. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, it says in verse 4, Galatians 4, verse 4, when the right time came, God sent his son. It says, when the right time came, everybody say the right time, God sent his son. Not a moment early and not a moment late right on time. 
It was the moment that God had ordained before history began. It says in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, he said, verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 3, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. It says in verse 4 that this plan regarding Christ, verse 5, uh, he says, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it. Everybody say now. God, everybody, I want you to say this out loud. God did not reveal his play-by-play, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Was it his plan before he revealed it? When he suddenly revealed it, did that mean that God just quickly put together a plan? Was he caught off guard? Just because they didn't see it and understand it did not mean that the plan was not in motion. He just chose not to. He doesn't have to reveal all of it. And again, like I said, if like just like, I mean, in, God is God and we're humans, so this doesn't even make sense. But just like a 65-year-old with wisdom, right? They've lived a whole life trying to explain to a 25-year-old there's going to be, you know, he's going to do the best job he can to describe to this young man what life's about. But you just can't get it because you haven't lived it yet. (laughs) You really have to be in the right place to really understand. And God, I'm not saying that's why he holds back, just because of our lack of understanding. That's just one of a myriad of reasons that we can't even fathom. Some of the reasons are that he's also keeping things from the enemy. It, the word tells us that over and over again. I talked about this at the beginning of the year, just a few weeks ago, that the enemy is searching, right? Remember Herod, through, through the Magi, they're, all, they're always pitting and planning and searching. Remember we talked about Hitler did that too. They want the upper hand, so they're trying to dig into knowledge, right? And they want... And they use the psychic realm and the stars and all these things that, that are, those things, it's not that they're not real. It's just using demonic power, but it's limited in its knowledge and its revelation. It's not unreal. You can read the horoscope and there's things in there. I don't advise you to do that because the Lord tells us not to. That's just one reason I'll leave it there. I could get into why, but God says not to do that. But it's not that it's not real. It's just that that's the enemy's plan. God has his own plan. God has his plan. And if you look right now, you may not understand, but it doesn't mean that God's plan is not already moving and in motion. Amen. And at just the right time, God sent his son. Man, I just... I'm just blown away by the Lord right now at just the right time. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, it says, he says, at this time, not to previous generations, but now. 
And he goes on to say in verse 9, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Everybody say, the beginning. That means that God didn't just suddenly put Jesus into motion to deal with this sin issue and Satan controlling the world. God's purpose, verse 10, in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. So, verse 9, we don't have time. I don't want to major on this. This is just very quickly. Just, this is just one glimpse of why God does the things he does. He's giving us a glimpse. This is not the whole picture. But sometimes it's because of this. It's for a greater glory, right? We see that in Egypt. We saw that with Lazarus. We just talked about that. Why does God wait and delay sometimes? Well, we think he's waiting and delaying. He's right on time. But the delay in the natural, the waiting in the natural, is because the glory is going to be greater. Right? Who is forgiven much, loves much? You know, even God, why did you allow me to go through all of these things? Why did you allow that person to get so low before you reached them and saved them? But then that person, TJ and I were just talking about this the other day. We were just saying, man, when you, but when that person gets saved, you better watch out. Because they've experienced it. They've experienced the lows. You're not going to trick them again. Trick me once. I ain't being tricked again. But he gives us a glimpse here of just one of the reasons, you know, his purpose in all of this was to use his church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is just one of the many reasons, but God, you know how much it spites Satan, that clay? You know, that's what we are, right? We're just clay. <laughs> Earthen vessels, right? We're just dirt. That's what the Bible literally says, that he took the clay and breathed his own spirit. Clay gets God's spirit. Satan in pride said, I'll, I'm going to exalt myself, my kingdom. I'm going to come up against God. Well, who is God? Who is God? Why can't I be God? And this clay, this dirt, has God's spirit in it. And the Bible says that his head is under our feet. Who's that giving glory to, us or God? Because I'm just clay. And so that's just one of the glimpses. And, and what I'm trying to encourage us today is that God has a plan and a purpose, and he can't fully explain it or even try to describe it to us because there are things happening in the unseen that is greater than just this earth. God, throughout these 5,000 years or so of time, that we, can, that we can calculate, we're not quite sure, but maybe, right, 6,000 years, probably 6,000, because we're maybe in that seventh day, that'd be fun. But God is showing the unseen what submission and obedience looks like. That's what actually Jesus says, I'll teach people. I'm going to show you what it's like to be submitted and obedient. It's possible. I'm going to do it and follow in my footsteps. Walk with me. Walk, pick up your cross and follow me. I'm going to show you. And what it, what it, it's so powerful what's happening in the spirit world when you do that. And just to keep moving here, it says, this was, verse 11, his quick thought up temporary 
slap together human plan. Is that what it says? It says this was his eternal plan. Which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, quickly, in these next minutes, I want to micromanage God. And let's just break apart his eternal plan, which is perfect. God is perfect. We just said he's on time all the time, right? And it's eternal. That means it was thought up before time. That means that God knows what he's doing. That means that you're still making the choice, but he knew what you would do, and he knew how Herod would respond, and he knew how Judas would be about the money, and it would be easy for him because it says that he would steal it often. Remember, that's why we don't have to wonder. We're like, why did Judas do what he did? And remember when they break the alabaster jar and they anoint Jesus? The Bible says that, that it's some of the books say that they were like, hey, we could have used that for the poor, but it says there that Judas didn't care about the poor. He used to reach his hand into the money jar and steal portions of it. So it was an offense that it was wasted on Jesus. That was a cut from him, right? It says that he immediately went and betrayed Jesus from there. But God knew, God didn't make Judas greedy. He knew that there would be greed in his heart and said, it breaks my heart in heaven and outside of time. It breaks my heart that Judas is going to do this, but I'm going to use it for my glory. It breaks my heart right now that they are aborting all these babies. And I know that it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to use it for my glory. It breaks my heart that we have done and removed God from every portion and place and piece of this nation. But somehow, some way, it doesn't make sense to you in this natural realm, but I'm going to use it for my glory. Let's micromanage God's plan here just for a moment. It says in the book of Luke, chapter 9, that one day, verse 18, one day Jesus left the crowds. Just stay with me. We only got a few more minutes here. It says that one day Jesus left the crowds to play, uh, pray alone, and only his disciples were with him. And he asked the question, he says, who do people say I am? Right? We know that there's a bit of a debate here. And then Peter says to him in verse 20, you are the Messiah sent from God. And then he warns them not to tell anyone who he was. And it says in verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. They have this amazing moment there's a very clear picture that's being painted here. First of all, they're not confused anymore. They've wondered. Even John the Baptist said, can you go ask Jesus who he really is? I just want to know. Are you really the Messiah? There's no reason he should have asked that question, but that's that struggle. That's even just humanity. Even John the Baptist was a little, you know, where we, we know God and we know his plan, but we're always just a little bit, we're not quite perfect, right? People who say that we've entered the time of perfection are greatly deceived. We have not. We know to an extent, but that's why we cleave to Christ and cleave to the Holy Spirit. As soon as you think you know it all, those are the people that go off quickly. Just assume right now, humble yourself again, that you don't know anything. All you know has been revealed by him, and the only way I'm going to continue to know it then is from him and by him. Amen. But there's this moment here where they're, okay, he's the Messiah. Jesus, 
says, don't tell anyone. The Lord has shown you this. I am the Messiah, basically inferring in this, in this statement. And then he tells them exactly what's going to happen. So they know who he is, and they know what's going to happen. Everybody say they knew who he was, and he told them what would happen. In fact, just to further it, just to really solidify what happened here, Peter has this revelation, you're the Messiah. Well, just a little bit down in verse 28, he takes him up on the mountain of transfiguration. It says in verse 29 that he was transformed, right? This is the transfiguration. Jesus entered into, um, where it doesn't really fully say, but most likely what actually happened was his glorified body, right? He just bypassed time, and what he saw standing there now was Jesus before he entered Mary's womb, right? And who he would be after. God doesn't need time. God doesn't need, you know, someone to grow up to become Jesus standing there transfigured. He can just do that, just parted the sea of time. And here he is, Jesus is standing glorified. And the Bible says that when Peter saw it, he's thinking of all these clever human ideas, like we could set up some tents and we could just stay here and that'd be amazing. I've got some ideas, God. And the Bible says that God answers from heaven, verse 34. It says a cloud overshadows them. In verse 35, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So if there was any doubt, Peter had already said, you're the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus said what would happen. If there was any doubt, just a few verses later, God from heaven speaks to Peter directly. Hey, Peter, you're the one that got it, the revelation. I just want to confirm it because you may be tempted to doubt. Hint, hint. You don't know that yet. We know that because we know the story. And listen to what he has said. Listen to his teachings, but also listen to his prophecies of himself. It goes on and says, it says this in the book of Matthew chapter 16. There's many verses actually like this, but just another reference here. Matthew 16 says, verse 21, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Everybody say, Jesus told his disciples plainly. God's word had been spoken. I, 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 I opened our sermon today with Ephesians because it's timeless for us. Jesus is speaking some things to them that was personal and was for a appointed time, but he has given us a confirmation that he's going to finish a work, isn't he? That is a timeless word. When in doubt, we go back to his word and we just cleave to his word. I don't look at the natural, I look at his word. And so Jesus, just as we've been told plainly in his word that he will not forsake us, he will never leave us, right? And that he will finish what he started in us, that he's coming for us, that the devil is a liar and will fail at every endeavor, even though it seems like he wins sometimes. The Bible says that he told the disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and then he would be killed. Everybody say he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised up. It says that God told them plainly his plan. 
He had never revealed this plan before, but it says, from then on, there came a time where God began to give a new word, a fresh word. It was the same plan. Everybody say it was the same plan. But suddenly the revelation of the plan was there. That's right. It says this, though. And this is a verse that we quote many times in real Christianity. It says in verse 22, But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter said to Jesus, where's your faith? I mean, that's basically, we can put, let's just put modern words to it. Jesus, where's your faith? Who knows that God's plan is not our plan, but his plan is better than your plan. <laughs> well, I didn't write that down. That was the Holy Spirit. He just said that better than me. I couldn't even tell you that again. It was something good. His plan is good for us. It's good. He said it's good. All things are working together. You're like, well, okay, I believe it, but not this year. All things except 2020 are working. Oh, Lord, all things work together except 2020 for the, your good, for your glory. All things except this trial that I went through and these mistakes I made. Lord God. Peter took him aside and said, where's your faith, Jesus? And he began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Okay, wait a second. Just dial back. Hold on a second. Let's just go back. Who do people say I am? You're the Messiah. A word from heaven. God speaks from heaven. A cloud literally shadows over. He sees Elijah. He sees Moses. Jesus is in his perfect body. And God says, this is my son. Listen to him. And now Peter is going to tell Jesus how to do his plan. And Jesus just calls it like it is. You know what we are and who you are agreeing with when you do that? Satan. Let's just call it like it is. The word says that when we micromanage God's plan and we say, well, your plan is, your plan is flawed, Lord, because... Why does your plan have to include suffering? Okay, fine. You want to be king? I want you to be king, but what do you mean you're going to be turned over to the priests and they're going to abuse you and use you? I'll never let that happen. Satan, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things. I love the way the NLT translates this because this is just what it is. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We need to see right now in this situation, in this time, in this hour, whatever trial you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever 2021 was and whatever 2021 will be, you need to look right now through God's eyes because our eyes trying to micromanage his plan and figure it all out really it's, I'm not saying it is Satan, but it could be. The more you try to figure it out, you might and don't even know it. You, he didn't know it. Peter didn't say, hey, Satan, 
let's get together and come against Jesus. He just spoke out of his humanity, out of his emotions. He had an emotional attachment, and he was emotionally invested in Jesus. And out of that place, that's that soul place. I don't want to get deep, but that's that stars and and that's what, you know, the, the psychic and the palm reading, they touch the emotions, right? And the people that talk about your grandparents are talking to you and your loved one from the dead. It's all in the emotional realm. That's where all that stuff comes from, right? We don't even realize, but it's satanic. And those attachments, it's not that what Peter said was evil. It's that he didn't, I mean, I'm sorry, he didn't, he wasn't evil. It's that what he was saying was actually attached to a plan that Satan had to satanic plans and didn't even know it. And instead, what we must say is when the Lord tells us blatantly and perfectly, which is his word, he told us, like for instance, right, Philippians 1 6. Then you just say, yes, Lord, period. When we don't know, what do we say? The same exact thing. It's, not a, it's a trick question. Yes, Lord. I just don't know what the yes is yet, but yes, Lord. I don't know what I'm saying yes to, but I'm not making up a decision because you haven't shown me yet. So what I'll do in the meantime is I'm going to stay aligned with your word. I'm going to stay righteous. I'm going to stay right. I'm going to do what you told me to do last. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing all the things that your word tells me to do. There's no question. We don't need to worry. We don't need to wonder how we're supposed to live. We just stay diligent. We stay looking for your coming. We stay good Christian believers, and then when he gives us a word, then we cleave to that word, and we hold on to it, and we don't try to break it apart and micromanage it. There's a whole bunch in that. I don't have time to go more deeper there, but I just want to say this. It says, it says here, it says, this will never happen to you, and then Satan comes through Peter and says his plan and purpose, and this is what happens. It says here, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 44, about this time, everybody say this time, it was about noon. You know, the Bible is specific. Why? Why is the Bible telling us the time? Because it was God's time. Everybody say, it was God's time. Exactly what God said, exactly what he said came to pass at the exact time it says darkness fell and until three o'clock god knows what he's doing and that was preordained the light from the sun was gone suddenly the curtain tears verse 46 jesus shouts father i entrust my spirit into your hands and with those words he breathed his last it says in the book of John, chapter 19, he was crucified. They nail him to a cross, verse 18. And verse 28 of John, chapter 19, says that Jesus knew his mission was now finished. I want you to hear that. It says in John, chapter 19, verse 28, after he had been crucified to that cross, what certainly, if we were to sit down and devise a plan, to save humanity would not have included a cross. 
And it's certainly, I don't think any of us would put up our own son on that cross. And here's God's plan, right on time, every time. Here's Jesus on that cross, and it says that he knew that the mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus, in fact, did die. He died. He died. Now, what's happening in the earth? Pharisees and Sadducees are rejoicing. Romans, some of them are like, you know, we, we know from the scriptures, some of them are like, wow, that was weird. I think this was God. Some of them are like, whatever, let's go back to gambling and drinking, right? The world just went on like normal, and he's gone. He was just a man, and it's finished. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, we know they come and take his body, and it says that he places it in a tomb, and it says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, that they place a great stone. They seal his tomb. Come on, I know that we know this story, but I think it needs to be read. I just think it needs to just be said again. He died. He breathed his last. It's finished. They put him in a tomb. That's where you put dead people. They put his body in the tomb. And it says they sealed the stone. And then it says... Verse 61, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb watching. And the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests, they say, you know, we, we heard this guy, verse 63, saying that he would rise in three days. It's amazing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, isn't it amazing? The enemy does listen. The enemy pays attention. Sometimes, the, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said about Christians, he's like, you know, the world is much more sharp and shrewd than you. They pay a little more attention. Sometimes you're a little too head in the clouds. You don't pay attention, right? That's what he tells them. I know I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus basically said, the world pays attention, and sometimes my church isn't paying attention. The Pharisees and the Sadducees remember it, and his people don't, that he said this. So they said, and I think this is so important, it says, we remember what he said, so we request, verse 64, as if Satan aligned with the human powers of this earth, come on, as if they could stop God's plan. But this is really, this is where, this gives us hope, this gives me strength, this gives me hope that Satan thinks he can stop God's plan with human power. That's all he can do, that's all he's got. We, he's called a toothless lion, right? He goes about like a lo- he's a roaring lion, but without teeth. Makes a whole bunch of noise, but all he can do is trick humanity against his church and his kingdom. That's it. And it's only temporary. Then the church overrides, right? We finally get together and we're like, oh yeah, we should have been praying. And we conquer that enemy. And then there's a good time in history. And then darkness creeps in because we get lax. And then we're like, man, we should have been praying. We pray again, right? This is how it goes throughout history. Meanwhile, his kingdom is still being, God's using it all. Come on, let's not forget that. Romans 8, he's still using it. God knew that we would be wishy-washy. That's how we've been since the beginning. And he's using it. Amen. Thank God he uses it. But it says that they said, let's seal the tomb and let's watch it. Let's put some guards out front, verse 64. And, uh, 
And if that happens, it says if he were, like, if the disciples, maybe they're going to come and try to steal. See, they can't even understand. They want to try to stop God's plan and all they can think, but all they can do, all the enemy, he can only think from his limited knowledge is that, well, the, the only thing I can imagine, the only thing we could figure is that they'd have to steal his body and pretend like he came back to life. So it says, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. And this is what it says. It says, everybody say, but. Come on. I know this is a little, this is usually, I save this type of text for our Easter sermon. And I said, Lord, forgive me for trying to save a sermon for a time in our natural history when this sermon is for today. This would be like the Easter sermon, right? This is your classic Easter sermon. But come on, this is for right now. You need to be encouraged, and those listening maybe need to be encouraged, because it says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord, And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And these men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He is in here. He is risen from the dead. Remember. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. Remember what I told you, church. It may look like, come on, they came here to anoint his dead body. And I don't blame them. I don't judge them. We're all just like the rest of us. I said last week, we're all spirit but trapped in this human body with this human mind that's constantly micromanaging and figuring out. And the best thing I think I could do is just respect his body. I'll go and we'll anoint his body and, and, and just do what we should do for a dead body. But the Bible says that they were looking for him and he was not there because he was not dead but alive. He is in here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and then he would rise again on the third day. And verse 8 says, Then, everybody say then, they remembered that he had said this. Then they remembered that he had said this. Which means that it's not the first time they heard it. They just had to be reminded. It means that their minds, come on, our minds block us even from pre-planned truths, on time, pre-planned plans and truth. And actually, your spirit man actually knows it. This is what's amazing. Think about this. Have you ever gone to the Lord and be like, Lord, I was saved then, but I can't believe I thought like that about your word or about this principle, and now I don't. The crazy thing is we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, present tense, not just not in the future. We are seated there right now, which means your spirit man already knew the truth and already had the fullness of that revelation, but your human mind, the Lord's word is a hammer, 
just little by little, right? That's why we don't get that revelation if we don't stake. It's the, for those that have keep seeking him and keep pushing closer and closer. Those are the ones that get more and more. So those that have, more will be given and so on. I could give the verses, right? We seek him, we're going to find him, and so on. We keep doing that. And this is what's amazing is that it's actually in us. The word is in us. The truth is in us. And we just don't remember. <laughs> How many times have I said it, right? The Lord encourages you on Sunday, and by Tuesday, you're discouraged. Did I say Tuesday? I meant Sunday afternoon. We just don't remember. We must remember right now. Remember, Jesus said, I have a plan and it's not catching me off guard what's happening right now. But you're like, but Lord, but Lord, but you don't know my details. But Lord, maybe you haven't been paying attention to the news recently. You're late. And Jesus said, I'm on time all the time. Amen. Isn't God good? He is so good. He's so gracious and merciful to us. Lord, we thank you that you're patient with us. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us while we were still sinners. And Lord, we thank you that instantaneously you saved us and set us in that place, Lord, with you. And you let us walk through these moments, Lord, so that our mind gets what our spirit already knows. Lord, encourage us right now. I pray that we would remember in this hour that today, Lord God, that we would be reminded, Lord, it's a simple truth. It's your word. You said it's for children. You said that you just want children's church. Church is children's church. It's a simple gospel. that We must come like children. Lord, we just humble ourselves like children. We just listen like a child that just says, yes, I don't know what else to believe. I just believe what you're saying because you're my father. And we just thank you, Lord God, right now, we just pray your plan and your purpose into this nation. We pray your plan and your purpose into each and every family in this church, into each and every situation in this church. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, we would submit to it. And, Lord, in the meantime, when we don't understand that we would just rest and wait for the stone to be rolled away. We thank you, Lord, that right now where there's darkness in the land, that God, we just must look at your word and say, well, I remember a story when there was darkness for three days, but God was faithful to roll that stone away and reveal his resurrected son. And so God today, even though it might be a dark hour, we remember your word that you did not leave Jesus dead in there, but he was alive and gave us life, and we are encouraged today, God, by your word. We just thank you, and we praise you, and we worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.